bet on yourself. And in doing that, you have to choose something that you're passionate about and won't quit because that was the only reason for my success. But to financially make it viable, use your strengths to find every possible way to make money at the beginning until you can be making money the way you want to be later on. And that was me being as resourceful and you know upselling and all of this. Don't be ashamed or afraid to ask for more money. I didn't value myself enough. And every time I'd be too afraid to ask for more money, but every time I did, I still got the job. Welcome to the Make That Money Honey podcast. I'm your host, Sandra Joe, and each week I will be bringing you a combination of interviews and solo episodes with industry leaders in finance, entrepreneurship, and women in business. As a former certified financial planner turned financial coach and entrepreneur, I will be sharing my knowledge on how to have better conversations about money within your marriage, relationships, and family dynamics. I will also be teaching fundamental financial literacy about all of the topics that you wish you learned in school. This podcast will get you to think outside the box, create more abundance in your life, and improve your money mindset. So make sure to follow and tune in weekly, and it would mean the world to me if you shared these episodes with a friend and left me a five-star review. Okay, guys, I am so excited to introduce my next guest, Michael Downey. What's really cool about Michael and I is that we actually met when we were in primary school. So we used to play hockey together when we were about six years old and how times have changed because we are now here doing a podcast. Michael has been a YouTuber and content creator for the last four and a half years. We connected recently again on Instagram or Facebook. I can't remember which one. And uh, Michael and I were just chatting about what he's been doing and, you know, on checking out his YouTube channel. So Michael is an adventure YouTuber with a focus on going behind the scenes to showcase the technology and people that make our world amazing. His videos have taken us from Cranberry Farms in Langley, BC, to the polar bear migration in Northern Canada in an effort to share the lesser known parts of the world. His videos are a balance of history with futuristic technology while being delivered in a fun and engaging way. And I can absolutely vouch for this because the first time I checked out your YouTube channel, which now has about 80,000 subscribers last time I checked, which is Downey Live. Is it more? 250,000. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. (laughs) 250,000. I was way off. (laughs) It was, uh, yeah, it's grown. I know it's grown rapidly because, you know, when I first checked it out, I could not believe the level of, you know, quality of your videos and how engaging and how fun they are. So check his YouTube channel out. It's Downey Live. You will go down an absolute rabbit hole with his videos because they're (laughs) so cool. And especially if you're from Canada, you will recognize so many of these amazing places that he's been to. So go down and check him out now. Subscribe to his channel, Downey Live on YouTube. And I cannot wait to do this interview today because you have been to so many cool places and filmed so many cool things along your journey into becoming a full-time YouTuber. So I guess my biggest question is... How did this whole journey start? Like, where did you decide that you were like, I want to become a YouTuber? The big question right away. Thanks for having me on the show. Great question. It 
all came. So since we first met back in the old ice hockey days, we've come a <laughs> long way since then. I went through business school with an edge on marketing being the side I was interested in. I was working for a marketing agency. And in high school, I took some film classes as an elective and really enjoyed it, but had no interest in going to film school or down that route. But I always continued filming my vacations, my trips with friends, and I would come back and I'd spend all my evenings editing these videos. And I got better. And there was a point where I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm not bad at this and I really enjoy it. There has to be a way I can make some money at it. And it was at the same time that I realized my viewing habits of television had completely changed. And I was no longer watching television. I was now watching YouTubers and I was watching Netflix and, you know, scrolling Instagram and other areas. And I realized that YouTubers were becoming sort of the new celebrity. And one of them who just happened to be from Vancouver that I was watching made a video describing how he made money. And my business background clicked and I fully understood it. And it was a pretty much that exact same week that I was laid off from my marketing job. So I took a moment. I like stepped back. I said, okay, instead of just applying for the next marketing job at another agency, maybe I want to take this moment to figure out what I really want to do with my life. And I went on a vacation. There was this trip I'd had planned for ages, but never had the time because I was always working for the marketing agency. So I finally had the time, took it, filmed the trip. And just in the back of my head was how you make money doing that. And so I kind of made a decision where I was no longer making videos for myself as these highlight reel videos, but I would make them fully targeted for an audience with the hopes, a decision right at that point to make this YouTube channel a career. And so I started a fresh YouTube channel with zero subscribers and every single video that went out there was with the viewer in mind of what they would want and how I can encourage them to subscribe and what I can show them. And one of my angles, when you have 200 subscribers, it's very difficult to convince a five-star resort to have you come for free and show around. I have no power with only It's like everybody's dream is get paid to go to a resort (laughs) and do a review on it. (laughs) Yeah, but they're not going to bring me. They're going to bring the the influencer with a million subscribers. And so my goal is going, what else could I do that people aren't doing that I'm interested in? And uh, one of the things was, I'm just very curious and kind of have that five-year-old boy mentality that likes trucks and ships and you know whatever it might be. And so I always went, well, how does that work? What's that actually like behind the scenes? And I would pitch to companies and the marketing department would go, oh, we've never had anyone ask to see that area of the business. Let's see. Let's ask the facility manager if he's interested. Well, of course, the facility manager is interested because he never gets any attention. And so he was always like, yes, come on down. And so there I am with 800 subscribers on a tugboat. Now, the other obvious question is, well, how do you convince them to take you? And really, it's a numbers game. I sent seven emails to seven tugboat companies. Four of them got back to me with no's. Two of them didn't get back to me at all. But one of them said, sure, come on down. Yeah, it's it's that like video? that with with all prospecting. It's a numbers game, isn't it? And you have to be prepared to take the no's to get the yeses. Yeah. Well, one of my favorites is I was pitching to a big company, one of the biggest ski resorts in the area, Whistler here. They hosted the Olympics for Vancouver in 2010. Pitched to them and they go, oh, I'm sorry. We only work with influencers who have 50,000 followers or more. Well, guess what? We have three other ski resorts in the area that are their competitors trying to attract this Vancouver market. 
So I email Cypress, Grouse, and Seymour, and the three of them are fighting over me. Well, well, can we also show you this? Can you also come do this? What if we give you? <laughs> and it just shows you I love to work with the underdog, you know, the, totally. the Pepsi to the Coca-Cola, because they want your exposure and, and to work with you even better than the big guy. And that's been my path, really. Yeah, that is so, so cool. And I I can appreciate when you were talking about like starting with 200 subscribers and then 800 and now getting to 250,000 because at the start, you have to put your blood, sweat and tears into making your content engaging, making it relatable, making it interesting. You know, one of my favorite videos of yours was the Amtrak video that you did, yeah. and that had like over a million views. Yeah. I didn't know anything about trains. I didn't know anything about Amtrak. I didn't know anything about, you know, going cross country on wow. a train or anything like that. And I'm not even really into trains, but the way you did it was so engaging. And I know that that was one of the videos that really exploded your channel. And yeah. So, how did you get from turning your passion into an actual business? Because we got a lot of listeners here that are listening to this podcast, particularly because they want to do things differently. They might be looking at starting a side hustle and how long does it take? So from when you first started this as a passion, when did you see your first dollar come in? Yeah. When when you start, you're not making any money. You know, when you're basically YouTube puts ads in the videos and it might be a tied ad or a car commercial. It doesn't matter what it is, but they charge that company to put the ad in the middle of my video. And luckily enough, YouTube splits that revenue with the creator. So I make half of that revenue, they make half, but it's very, very small dollars per view. It's $5 per thousand views. So if I get a thousand views in a month, well, I've only made $5. That's not enough, but that's what happens when you're small, when you're starting off you might only get a thousand views and $5 is not enough to pay rent and keep the business going. (laughs) So you have to find other ways. So when I first started the channel, when I had zero subscribers, I took a job at a junk removal company. I wanted a job that I could work mindlessly, be mentally focused on the YouTube channel, but also a job that I hated that would encourage me to make YouTube be successful faster so I could quit at any time and get out of there. So wow, pur- I love that. <laughs> purposely I love that. <laughs> cleaning up people's garbage where all I want to do is get home and be editing the next video so it blows up and goes viral and I can quit this darn job. And um, it took 10 months. Now, after 10 months, I wasn't financially profitable off YouTube alone. But what I had done in that meantime was spent my weekends building relationships with local companies. I started pitching my video ideas to uh, car dealerships because one of my first jobs was at a car dealership and I know the ins and outs and what they should be recommending and whatnot. Basically, I was using my marketing knowledge from university going, what do these companies need and what skills do I have to offer and how can I get paid for it? So I, I did that. And one of the companies said, yeah, we'd love to work with you. Great. You know, how much do you charge? Perfect. Come on down, film this video for us. And I did. And they were owned by an umbrella company that owns multiple car dealerships. So now every month they were sending me to a different car dealership, making these same videos over and over. It was really easy, but it allowed me that financial freedom to quit the junk removal job. And now at least I'm at a point where the skills I'm using in my job is relevant to my YouTube channel rather than just lifting garbage bags. And of course, as you continue to do that, you can now begin to charge more. So 
I was just making videos that they wanted. But once I started pitching my social media consulting side, I said, oh, I also do this. As I run a YouTube channel and have experience, I recommend you should do this. But in order to do that, it will cost you more. It's kind of those slow upsell. Now, the other area, I always want the focus to be the YouTube channel. I didn't want to be distracted by making videos for companies where I can only get paid once. Basically, once you charge the client, it's X amount it's like a fee for, for video, service. Yeah. Yeah. I get you paid. Wanna ha- you want to have it. that residual income from the recurring it, views and ad revenue and all that. Exactly. So the goal for me is YouTube. So the next level for me to get paid was working with a company on the YouTube channel. This example just happens to be a ski resort again, where I went to them and I said, I'd love to show the behind the scenes of how your snow grooming team works. And they went, oh, that's a great idea. And then I try to upsell them. I say, well, well, since I'm on hand and I'm a videographer and I'm making these videos, I can also put together social media for you that you could put on Instagram or whatever you'd like. And they go, ah, no, thanks. We're not interested. I offer the video to go on my YouTube channel for free. But since I'm on site, I tried to upsell them. It didn't work out. But after, when they watched the YouTube video, they actually said, wow, we loved that. We'd love to buy that after all. And they did. (laughs) And I actually had pitched five videos. So I worked with their snow grooming team, their snow making team, their snow operations team, their ski patrol team, and their cooks team, like all behind the scenes. And they bought one video from all five. So that was a big payday all of a sudden to keep the channel running. Good for you. That's so smart. Yeah. It's like, and sometimes I think, especially with content creators, right? Like I know for myself personally, is that sometimes you have to show them what you're capable of doing before they're actually willing to commit. And like you said, you're like, I'll do the video on my YouTube channel for free. Then they see the caliber of your video editing skills, the sound, the different angles, the camera quality, storytelling, exactly. And that's what you're really good at. Your storytelling is super, super engaging. And I love that about your videos. And, you know, it's so cool how you've built that because it's a multifaceted revenue stream because you're charging them up front for the actual job of going behind the scenes and, you know, looking at their operations and filming it. And then you're also getting your YouTube ad revenue every time you've got the views. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but YouTube, you have to have a thousand subscribers in order to get paid the ad revenue. Yeah, there's a minimum baseline that you have to meet as a creator to be a part of their partner program, as it's called. Yes. So let's say you had 800 subscribers, but then all of a sudden one of your videos goes viral and gets a million views. Do you get any pay for that? Not unless unless you're a part of that YouTube partner program. So you really want to make sure you get those thousand subscribers right off the bat as quickly as possible. Exactly. Long lost aunt and all your cousins and every neighbor and every person you've ever worked with at your jobs. (laughs) Exactly. And so when I got started, I was aware of that. And I knew, A, that you want to have that uh, thousand subscriber threshold. But also when you are trying to convince someone that's watching your video, that's just discovered you on YouTube for the first time to subscribe and they go, oh, this was a great video. And they look down and you have 38 subscribers. It's very difficult for them to go, oh, well, they just feel like he must not be worth it. You need that social proof. So the first thing I did when I started my YouTube channel is I put up two videos and I DM'd every single friend that was a a good contact that I knew I could rely on. Mm -hmm. I individually DM'd them details of why I wanted them to subscribe. And I got 150 subscriptions overnight. You know, I said, you don't have to watch the videos. I just want you to subscribe. This will help me get, you get your custom domain name and 
it just helps you give a little bit of social proof right off the bat. But that was yeah. time and energy spent in requesting friends to do that for me. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of hard yards of direct messaging that you got to do at the start. I know from myself personally, when I was building my email list for my new business, it was like I personally messaged every single person that clicked on one of my polls, whether it was a yes or a no, and right. just said, thanks for participating. Would love to grab your email so I can add you to my email list so that you can stay up to date on you know my website releases, program releases, podcast launch, and all that. And it takes a lot of work and there's a lot of late nights at the start, a lot of unpaid hours when you're starting out something like this. But what I love about anything where you create residual income is all those hours that you do at the start to get the thousand subscribers, it automatically starts compounding once you start getting 2000 and then it goes from 2000 to 3000 to 5000 to 10,000 really quickly. And that ad revenue starts to increase and the better quality your videos are and the more interesting, you know, the companies are that you get to work with or the resorts or whatever, the more people are going to want to share and engage, right? And it just starts amplifying. So Let's talk about residual income for a minute because this is something that I personally am truly passionate about. I was first introduced to residual income about three and a half years ago through a network marketing business. And so I know how cool it is to be able to work on something once and get paid for two, three years after for that one project. Can you tell us a little bit about what the residual income from your YouTube channel looks like and sort of your breakthrough moments of? maximizing it or or exploding it if you yeah, could. Definitely. So I put out one video a week and keeping fresh content out there obviously encourages my viewers that watch me regularly to now watch a fresh video and that brings in views and views equate directly into money. I know exactly 1000 views equals $5. So you want a million views. So that equals $5,000. The nice thing is you put in the exact same amount of work every week, plus or minus a little bit to put out a video. And that video could earn you $100. It could go viral, earn you $5,000 or endlessly more and more. So it is not a set dollar amount for each video. It all depends on the performance. However, I've had videos that literally got 700 views for the first four months and just sat there. And then the algorithm suddenly picked it up for some reason and got 70,000 views overnight. And you wake up the next morning and there's a significant chunk of change sitting in your bank account because of that. (laughs) How cool is that? Yeah. So it's like the more videos you make, the more chance there is of that happening. So it's like a consistency thing. It's like keeping that content fresh, like you said, every week getting it out there. And then all of a sudden, somebody like myself comes onto your channel, watches every single one of your videos, (laughs) goes down a rabbit hole, spends three hours of my life going through your videos, (laughs) and then shares it with all their friends. And you found me because we know each other and we had reconnected. But if I only made one video and put it out on the internet, there's only one chance for you to find me. I have a library at this point of 250 videos. So you have 250 chances of finding me. And it just takes one of those videos to go viral for someone to find my channel and they dive down the rest of the videos, like you said, bringing more revenue and for future videos. Now that's one form. Now with each view that comes into my channel, not only is that 
AdSense revenue, but I also have affiliate links down in the description. Mm. So now someone has watched 10 of my videos and goes, oh, I love this guy. What? Is, oh, this video, he recommended this product. They click my affiliate link. Not only did I make the ad revenue off of them, I've now made affiliate link revenue off of them. Then I actually have subscriptions. So YouTube memberships, where if you want bonus content, you can click the join button. And for $5 a month, you get behind the scenes videos, you get early access to videos. I give you more. Cool. So that is $5 a month repeating from each person that joins. Yeah. Now, when I have 250,000 subscribers like I do, you should be able to gain a thousand people to pay that $5 a month. And all of a sudden, that's $5,000 a month that I'm making off just some extra early access videos and behind the scenes little bonuses for them. And how do you sort of advertise that? Like, does YouTube take a cut of that? Do they take 10% or anything like that? I've never even heard of this before. Yeah. So right next to the subscribe button, some channels, uh, I think you have to be a certain size to be eligible for it. And some have opted not to participate. They just want to continue on their regular channel. But if if you opt in, you'll get the join button right next to it. And you have to have it all set up ahead of time and whatnot. But yes, YouTube does take a percentage of the funds there. I think it's 30%, but there are other options. They're like, I could do Patreon. The issue with that is now I'm sending people to a different website to input their credit card and try and convince someone to go elsewhere. When if it's all within the platform, it's significantly easier and faster for someone to join. One less step that they don't have to click over. Yeah, people don't like extra steps, do they? (laughs) No, exactly. So you said something really interesting before because I've heard a lot about affiliate marketing I've actually just started myself doing Amazon influencer yeah. their influencer yeah. program it's where you can create products and you know shop lists and things like that haven't yeah. really dove much into it yet but can you give an example of one of the products that you would have recommended where there was a fair amount of uptake in it Yeah a lot of YouTubers recommend the gear that they're using whether it's their camera equipment or microphones and that sort of thing uh, it could also be often let's say makeup tutorials or makeup, right? you know, people that talk about products on YouTube, they're able to link all of the products that they used in the video. So if you watching go, I really like that or that color or wow, that's a, I never knew about that. You can suddenly simply click on it. You don't have to go research it yourself. So it's very efficient for you to send someone elsewhere. So let's say I've got a drone that I'm recommending that you use and, and you go over to go look at the drone and you go, what am I doing? I don't need a drone. Like Sandra, come on. But oh, we need dog food. And you go over and you buy dog food from Amazon because my link sent you to Amazon in the first place. Even though you didn't buy the drone, you bought dog food. I still make a 5% commission off your dog food sale. That's so my so cool. <laughs> audience is pretty much men aged 18 to 45. That's the biggest portion of it. But I've made money off women's sarongs and baby <laughs> gates that go at the top of stairs and dog food and diapers and like random items that I could yeah. see. But it's yeah, yeah, no, me. it's funny. The reason I even found out about this in the first place is another friend of mine is a YouTuber as well. And he has the Amazon affiliate links. And he's like, yeah, it's pretty cool. So he recommended actually this microphone that I'm using for this podcast. He sent me the link to that. And he goes, you know, if there's anything else that you need from Amazon, throw it in the cart while you're in there, because I'll get a commission off everything. And I was like, 
Yeah. How cool is that? It's not like he's just getting the commission off the microphone that I order, but he's getting right. the coffee glass, Everything coffee else. cups and the wine glasses and the who, who yep. knows else, you know, what I buy on Golf Amazon. balls, yeah. Yeah, all the things. You go down another rabbit hole on Amazon every time you're on there. And before you know it, your cart's well over $500. <laughs> and the best part is, as you as a shopper, it doesn't cost you any extra. It's not adding totally. that 5% onto your total. It is simply a gift to the creator thanking them. And so I often will need to buy something on Amazon and go, oh, who do I want to support today? And I go click their Amazon link and then go off to buy whatever it is I need because yeah. I'm in the creative world. I understand how we make our revenue and I go, who else can I support in the process? And that's one of the steps I take. Yeah. And so if you're looking from an income split perspective, like approximately what percentage of your income do you think comes from affiliate marketing? For me, it's very, very slow. I'm an experience-based channel. I love to recommend people to go out and do things rather than I'm not at home testing or doing unboxings or using objects or products. So for me, it's very, very low. In fact, I've even tailed off and I don't recommend anything. I wouldn't say I'm a minimalist, but I just don't like to encourage people to buy more junk essentially. So yeah, it's probably more the for, camera gear and and whatnot from when you've done your, and you wouldn't take a ton with you because you're usually traveling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for me, affiliate link used to be more, I would have said it was in the five to 10% range of my monthly income. And at this point it's probably down to one or two. And that's likely because the affiliate links usage is going down, but also because my revenue in other areas is going up. Yeah. So back to your YouTube revenue. How did you start at the beginning in terms of like funding your channel? Great so I, yeah, like yeah. in terms of gear and I know you mentioned that you actually hired an editor before you actually needed to probably to free up some of your time. Yeah. So can you walk us through what that looked like from an expenditure point of view when you first started out? Yeah. So the first thing was I took that job at the junk removal company. That was the job that was going to right. be paying the bills while I started with zero subscribers. As I moved on from that, I basically just started with the GoPro camera that I'd been filming all my trips with and editing with the free software that came with my laptop. So that was the low end cost of everything that I could do to get started. As I'd saved up a little bit of money from working at this company, I bought a bigger, better camera and a microphone to help grow the channel, give that production level a little bit of higher quality. And then I quit the job and I had this freelance work coming in from the car dealerships and whatnot. But I will admit, we'll call it year one was at the junk removal company. Year two was doing freelance, but I also took out a $30,000 loan. I'm not afraid to say that I knew I was not going to be making the same revenue I was by working a job and I needed to fill that role. But also, I needed to be committing more time to the channel. I was growing very slowly. And that's because I could only work evenings and weekends. And no offense, but I have a family and friends and a partner that I needed to spend some time with as well. And (laughs) so I can't just spend all my evenings and weekends because I lived with my girlfriend and that kind of upset her that I never spent any time with her. (laughs) So there's a lot. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the hardest things for entrepreneurs at the start is like, you need to pay the bills and keep the lights on, but you also need to be able to spend time building your business. And I know from experience over the last six months that building a business takes mental energy, creativity. It's not necessarily something that you can do after an eight or nine hour day when you're exhausted because you need to do it when you're fresh. You need to do it when you've got energy. 
You need to do it when you've got time off to be able to, like you said, especially for you being a travel vlogger is being able to physically go places and not have to book off time from work or use sick days or long public, you know, holidays or whatever. And it is super time consuming. There's a lot of unpaid hours at the start and starting something like this, I can imagine would have been a huge risk and took a lot of courage to really jump and throw yourself in there because at the start, you're like, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know how long it's going to be before I'm replacing my junk removal income with full time. Because like you said, it, you know, a thousand views is five bucks. How many views do you have to get in like a million views in order to pay your month's living expenses, essentially, yeah. right? If you're looking at yeah. a million to 5,000, it's and like I it was, takes a while to get to that point. <laughs> I was 30 years old when I was starting this. I was 29, just turning 30. And I look around at all right. my friends are buying houses, starting families. And here I am taking a job at a junk removal company so I can start a YouTube channel. The mental side of that is going, how have I failed in life that this is what it's become, that I'm striving for five more subscribers today somehow while spending the day picking up garbage for someone else. And I look at all my friends that are deemed successful. Now, it's really easy for me to say that four years down the road, looking back at where I am, that I've accomplished so much throughout this. But that's where it started. So right. working the junk removal was year one. Year two took out a $30,000 loan, which I ate through in the year, basically to pay for living expenses and all that yeah. while I kept the dream of the YouTube channel alive. And any revenue that started to come in through the channel would just go back into it, whether that was into travel costs, into upgrading a camera or a lens, that was essentially it. Year three was where we became flush in the sense of I was still doing some freelance stuff and the amount of YouTube revenue I was bringing in meant I could work the entire year and come out even. So I didn't eat into more of the loan, but I really didn't come out any more positive. And the fourth year was when it really took off and became very financially positive, I guess is the way. Yeah. I'm glad you broke it down like that because I think a lot of people when they start something new will expect that it's just going to be an overnight success. And they, you know, they put all their energy and all their effort into something. And maybe for the first six months, there's a bit of crickets and they just don't get the same engagement or the same level of clients that they want or subscribers or followers or whatever their, you know, whatever their business or services. And they just go, oh crap, after, you know, eight, nine, 10 months, even the first year and a half. And they think, oh, I failed at this. I'm just going to go back to my job and go back to safe and comfortable on my $70,000 or $80,000 a year salary where I only get two weeks vacation a year. And I can resonate so much with you when you said I was 30, I was looking around and all my friends were getting married and buying houses and having kids. And it kind of was the same thing for me in the last 18 months. It was like, you know, I had this six-figure income as a financial planner and I just felt unfulfilled and was like, I feel like there's something bigger and better out there for me where I can actually express my true self and put myself out there in a situation like this with a podcast or, you know, content creation and, and coaching. And it takes a lot of grit 
to really go for it. But not only that, but to, to stick it out because so yeah. many people give up too early and so many people will give up right before it starts to get good because they fear that it's failing because they didn't see the success that they had anticipated in year one, two, or three. Right. And so that for me was really pivotal, what you said about how year four was really the year that you started to see it take off. Because in network marketing, in any new business, we look at our level of commitment, especially things that are commission-based. So real estate, mortgage right. broking, you know, insurance sales, anything like that. You don't just walk in and start making six no. figures or $100,000 a year. Like it takes time to get clients and then referrals yeah. and then testimonials and, and whatever it is. And well, I heard an analogy a little while ago at a personal development conference that I went to. And it said you would never walk into a university expecting to walk out with a degree after three months. So why would you walk into a new career path expecting to be successful in three months when it actually takes three, four, five years, years. to get that yep. same level of success, right? And we're just conditioned to being this sort of impatient generation now where we expect everything to be so instant and that we expect things to be yeah. easy and don't have to work yeah. for it. And don't have to reinvent ourselves. Maybe we tried something, and I'm sure you would have known this, but like, I'm sure there were videos that you filmed and you would have been so stoked about it. And then it just oh, didn't yeah. get the same kind of traction that you thought. And you're like, what the heck? Like, I put so yeah. much into that. I thought it was going to be so good. I thought that was going to be the one that went viral. And then mm -hmm. it just kind of flunked or just didn't do much, right? And the opposite happens. The video that you're like, I'll just put this out so I have something this week. It's garbage, but I'll, I'll put it out there. That's the <laughs> one that goes viral. You I know. No control. Yeah. And, and I think and, that the part about being an entrepreneur, and, and I know that you would, you would relate to this, is that you just have to keep going and you just have to see, okay, that worked. And then, so you're going to take that 5% that you did differently on that video and you're going to add it to the next video. And it's this compounding effect of how many videos did you say you have now? 250? Yeah. Yeah. So if you were to compare your 250th video to your first and second and third and fourth video, they would be astronomically different, right? Yes. And you just look at the quality and the editing and the, the views that you, not like the different angles that you get and all this. And yeah. so for people that are just starting out anything new that are listening to this, I want you to listen to this story and just realize that like, you know, your first five of whatever it is that you do, whether it's podcast recordings or, you know, client meetings or prospecting calls or whatever, they're going to be pretty bumpy and they're going to be, you know, a learning experience. But the only way that they get better is with practice and revision and feedback and all of that, because that is what helps us grow. And I think just so many people are willing to quit you know, after yeah. such a short period amount of time because they think, oh, this is just not working or it's not for me, even though they are truly passionate about it. They just haven't put in enough of the hard yards. And I want to reiterate something you've said, you know, a lot of people think it's a, an overnight success and it might look like that to some if you have a viral video, but you don't look back at all the other videos that you've put in all the time and effort into. But I equate my success to two things. The first is not giving up, not quitting. If I quit, then I've given up and you're not successful. 
But because I didn't quit, it allowed me the time to have those moments where a viral video would save me. But the, the second reason is because I was really, really passionate about what I did and the entire process of it. I really enjoy planning the videos. I really enjoy reaching out to the companies, people to collaborate with, filming it on the day of, being the producer, the videographer, coming up with all the ideas to make it work, and the editing. There's a lot of people that love whatever that middle segment is. Just the filming, being there, having fun, but they hate the editing. Because I enjoyed that meant I loved the process. But I'll say this as well. At the end of two years... I'm 30 years old. I'm reaching the end of my $30,000 of debt or loan that I borrowed. I'm hitting the bottom of that. And I have 5,000 subscribers. I sat down and was like, is this going to work? It's taken me two years to get 5,000 subscribers. It's going too slowly. I'm not bringing in enough revenue to make this work. And it was that month I looked back. Basically, I said, look, all my friends, sure, they're buying homes. They're doing this. But they go to their cubicle office and they work all day, every day. I could do that. I could quit right now. I could go back to my marketing job and do that. Is that what I want to do? When I looked back at my channel and I had been on a tugboat, I'd been riding with snow groomers, I'd been traveling to different locations, staying on llama farms, doing these really unique things that just lit me up. And I was excited about all the potential opportunities for things to come. And I went, even if this means I have to stay broke or like break even, this is what I would rather be doing than in those jobs. And then it just happened that that month, my channel had one video pop off and I doubled from 5,000 subscribers to 10,000 subscribers in a month. (laughs) And when that happens, well, guess what? That means a lot of people were watching. A big chunk of change comes into the bank as well to thank you for that. And you go, okay, well, I have this extra money now to spend. Let's keep the channel going. And basically the third year, the end of third year, I hit 30,000 subscribers and was still going three years. I've hit 30,000 subscribers. It's the same thoughts. Is this really going to pan out the way I wanted it to? Same month, doubled from 30,000 to 60,000 in a month. And again, more money you go, okay, now it's 60,000. And I hit, I hit a hundred thousand subscribers in June. And now we're in July and I've hit 250,000 subscribers. So it took me three and a half years to hit a hundred thousand. And it took me less than a year to double that. To double that. Yeah. And that's that compounding effect, right? Because it's, and like with the algorithms of YouTube and everything. So it starts really, really slow. Like if you were to look at it like a graph and then all of a sudden it's going to go, you know, way up because as soon as those hundred thousand, if all those hundred thousand share with one person, it doubles your channel right? And that one person subscribes. So, but if you're only got 1000, then that only doubles it to 2000, right? I was looking at the revenue for my channel, just, just from the AdSense, but I think the numbers are pretty similar with the sponsorships because when you're, you're zero, you don't have any sponsorships, but over the last four and a half years, I have made maybe 70% of my revenue in the last year on the channel. And I would say that translates over to the sponsorships as well, if not more. So on that note, what are your plans? What are your upcoming plans now that the travel restrictions are starting to ease? You know, we can start moving internationally again now. Yeah. What, what, have you, what upcoming projects can you spill any beans with us about what well, you got coming say, up next? 
I've had what just about 18 months of sitting at home planning this. And uh, <laughs> so I have big plans, but I really wanted to get to Australia, but they seem to be one of the countries that's further behind in the vaccine process. So I probably yeah. won't get to get to them as quickly as I'd like. But I've made my sort of name recently with all the Vancouver videos, and I've really built a local and Canadian audience watching that's my nice, channel. Yeah. And I'm going to slowly expand. I'm doing a little bit of BC videos at the moment as I've been traveling. Uh, around BC the end of June. And all of July, I'm based here in Vancouver. I'm actually, here's the spill the beans. The first video hasn't come out yet, but I am living in the only house in Stanley Park. There is one house Whoa. that a groundskeeper lives in and he's gone on vacation and asked me to house sit. And I will be showing you what it's like to actually live in Stanley Park. And that includes oh, cool. taking on some of his duties. And it's such a unique location. So I'm locked in here in Vancouver for the next month because of the house sitting. And after that, planning a big cross Canada trip. So slowly so expanding. Cool. Yeah, I'm, we're looking at more, as we were talking, residual revenue streams. Yep. So one of the other areas that has helped throughout the years and is sort of in year two, year three to help keep the channel afloat was licensing of videos. So these are videos I had already filmed. They are getting regular views every month, which is nice that they continue to bring in revenue for me, even though the video is finished. And then a TV show or a TV commercial or some sort of company wants to license that footage. So I had a TV commercial license seven seconds of one of my videos for $2,500 US for the year. And then wow, cool. a year later, they wanted to extend that. And so you go, okay, it's another $2,500. And you're like, great. So that comes out of nowhere and I have absolutely no control, but it's nice when you've already made that video and yeah, they just don't have to do any additional work. <laughs> do anything. You go, here you go. And they yeah. write you a check for $5,000. Yeah. So, well, lo looking to license my series, basically I'm looking to build out a longer episodes right now. My episodes are 10 to 15 minutes, very like watchable for YouTube, but I'm looking to see how can I extend them to be 23 minutes and potentially license them out to TV channels to put on air and uh, awesome. see that as a new revenue stream because it's not doing any extra work. I just make the video that I would make, but now potentially someone wants to put it on TV. So we're in those totally. talks at the moment. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I'm looking forward to your cross Canada trip. I, I went cross Canada, I think when I was like maybe seven or eight years old, probably when you and I were playing hockey together, actually with my yeah. family. Yeah. And I just remember driving for hours and hours and like looking at not much in the middle of the country, but your videos I'm sure will be much more engaging because I, you know, I saw your, um, your polar bear video and that looked incredible. Oh, yeah. What was your favorite video to film to date? That polar bear video was fantastic because it's such a childhood dream. You go through these like books of animals and the polar bears yeah. are a Canadian iconic animal, yet we don't have them here in Vancouver or near any major near metropolitan anything. area. <laughs> They're only in that one area, but that specific town is so rural. It's only accessible by plane or train. There's no roads in or out and there are no surrounding Amazing. towns. It is completely remote, which means there are only three hotels, small hotels there, which means... And the polar bears are only there for two weeks. So international travelers will pay a lot to stay there and be there, which just makes it financially unviable for us to be able to go experience it. But COVID 
locked out all the international travelers and suddenly made it available to myself. So that was kind of a bucket list dream yeah. trip that I was able to take my dad on. And it was really nice to spend. Yeah, that he he really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, a lot of hours on that train that you guys could probably chat and catch up. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember you seeing like, okay, we're on like day three on the train. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like a well, lot of time. It's all the, the moments I put on camera are the, the highlights and the fun yeah. parts for you, but really it's those intimate moments off camera where I get to talk to my dad, where we have no Wi-Fi on that train, totally. nothing else to do, that we just talk. And I kind of ask these prying questions to him about his past and his history that I didn't know. You know, what did you do yeah. growing no, up? What a cool bonding experience. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a few other adventure videos and like passions that I've really enjoyed as well. Like riding on a tugboat was just something as a kid yeah. and going up a construction crane. Those are things that no one else gets to do. And one other one was going to the very top of the parliament tower, the peace tower in Ottawa. It's our government building. If you're not from Canada and I had to get top secret clearance or something from the, basically the <laughs> Canadian FBI to allow me into this restricted area of the government. And it's just the very peak, the very top of the clock tower bells and where yeah. they change the flag. And in that room, there's so few people that have been up there that they've signed, you all signed the walls when you're up there. And Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was there and Rick Mercer, who I feel like my style is a little bit like his as a, he was a TV host, if you don't know him. He signed up there and now I've autographed. Oh, that's as well, so, so cool. Yeah, I'll have to go back and watch your tugboat video. That sounds really interesting. I haven't seen that one. I, I've definitely well, seen a few of the train videos. So <laughs> no need to go back and watch the old one because I'm coming out with a new tugboat video. I've redone it because the first oh, one sweet. I did four years ago and I don't think I did it very well. I've progressed a lot in the quality of my production. <laughs> and so You've got okay, I'll check. I'll check. I'll be weeks. sure to check out the next one. I'm I'm subscribed. I'm all for my yes. Gmail account. So you've got four <laughs> subscribers out of one. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, so the last question I have for you: If you were to give one piece of money advice to your 20 year old self, what do you think it would be? I would say viable. Use your strengths to find every possible way to make money at the beginning until you can be making money the way you want to be later on. And that was me being as resourceful and, you know, upselling and all of this. Don't be ashamed or afraid to ask for more money. I didn't value myself enough. And every time I'd be too afraid to ask for more money, but every time I did, I still got the job. They still paid it. Yeah. I love so, that. So yeah. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And if you love this episode, please share it to your Instagram story and tag me at sandra.m.joe. I would be forever grateful if you left me a five-star review and sent it to a friend so that I can reach as many people as possible. For more information on my financial coaching and how we can work together, check out my website at sandrajoe.com. And until next time, have a great day and go make that money, honey.